0: I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. So glad to be with you. Uh, Open your Bibles, please, to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. A message this morning entitled, Grace in a Strange Place. A familiar, important message from the Word of God. A story you've heard before. This is how Joshua 2 begins. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Now Shatim was a was a little town was a location a few miles east of the Jordan River in the Old Testament days, it was in the land of Moab in New Testament days, it was in the region called Perea today it 's in the modern country of Jordan, so we 're a few miles east of the Jordan River, and Joshua, knowing that the first city that must be conquered is the great walled city of Jericho. He sends out two spies from Shittim, tells them, go and cross the Jordan River and go scout out the city of Jericho and then come back and tell me what we are up against. Go, he says, look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went, the two spies did, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Some stories in the Bible don't quite fit. This is one of them. Daniel, in the lion's den, it fits. Rahab the harlot, not so much. We admire David for killing Goliath. We are not sure what to do about Rahab telling a lie. We teach our children to sing. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. I don't know any songs about Rahab. Let us right up front be entirely clear on one point. Rahab's occupation has been called the world's oldest occupation I don't know if it's literally the oldest, but it goes back a long way. And there are still women with this occupation today. When the Bible calls her a harlot, it is telling us something about the way she made her money. There there has been in older times, there was a certain reluctance or reticence about this. And there are at least some older Bible commentators who take the word translated harlot and change it into Rahab the innkeeper. May I say to you, it's clear that to call her an innkeeper is not incorrect. It is simply incomplete. The word that is used for Rahab, both in the Old Testament, Hebrew and in the New Testament, Greek, it means basically one thing. That she was a woman who sold her body for money. The Bible makes no attempt to cover up that fact. If anybody here this morning feels squeamish about that fact... May I say the problem is with us, it is not with what is in the Word of God. Three times in the book of Joshua, we are told she is called Rahab, you can call her the prostitute, you can call her Rahab, the harlot, you can use some other word if you wish to, but Joshua 2.1, Joshua 6.17, Joshua 6.25, three times it's made very clear to us what her occupation was. And in case we have any doubts about that, twice... Twice she is mentioned in the New Testament. Hebrews 11.31. The hall of fame of faith. She is called this way. By faith, the prostitute Rahab. James 2.25 calls her Rahab the prostitute. Five times, five times the word of God is emphasizing to us who this woman is. What she did. How she made her money. Consider, if you would please, the English synonyms for the word prostitute. Hooker, streetwalker, call girl, lady of the night. And certain other terms, you can find them in the dictionary. Certain other terms that would not be uh, proper for me to quote to you this morning. But let us simply observe what the Bible says. Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot. That's where the two men went when they entered the city of Jericho. Part of our problem in dealing with this fact is that Hollywood has, to a great extent, so glamorized so glamorized uh, sex today that it, it, has, it has come to mean something different in our culture than, than when you read about it in the Bible. Hollywood and the forces of modern culture have turned sex uh, into something different. Um, uh, sex outside of marriage, they've glamorized it. So uh, young people sleep around and we think nothing of it. Kids go to college and they sleep around and we think nothing of it. Our singles sleep around and we think nothing of it. You watch the movies and they glamorize adultery. And they glamorize uh, fornication. Of course, in our day, they glamorize and normalize homosexuality. And I think the end result of it is there's been sort of a dulling of the public consciousness that you remember Hawthorne's the scarlet letter we've come a long way baby but not in a good direction from that what I'm simply saying to you is that in in our day sex has become very casual and there are even those in our day even surprisingly at least a few inside the uh, Christian community who are in favor of destigmatizing sex work and sex workers uh, which is a very sad thing let me say to you, if you, if you uh, go inside the sex trafficking business, you discover very soon it's an ugly business. It's a dirty business. Uh, it's an exploitive business. Uh, not long ago on American Family Radio, uh, we were interviewing some folks with a ministry, a wonderful ministry called India Partners, where they go to the slums of great cities in India like Mumbai. I have been there and, and Marlene and I have both been there, and we've seen some of those slums that just go on for miles and miles and miles where, uh, where, the, where the pimps, they recruit and they steal, and sometimes parents uh, sell their girls into prostitution. When we interviewed the folks from India Partners, they told us that the, that it's not just 20-year-old girls or 24-year-old girls who are involved in prostitution, sometimes it's little girls, as young as five years old i simply say to you sexual sin is it's not just a normal sin and it's not just a sin that the bible whispers about god warns us god warns us about sexual sin from the beginning of the bible to the end it always leaves a scar understand that it always leaves a scar which brings us back to joshua chapter two there's a lot of things we don't know about rahab we wonder about her. Clearly, she was a well-known woman. She had a house which was built <clears throat> into the, one of the great walls that went around Jericho. She had a significant place. She, she evidently had quite a business going. Evidently, it was the kind of place that men would go to day and night. You wonder about a woman like Rahab. Had she given up? Had she been gone so long into that way of life that she thought to herself, I'll never get out. Well, if Rahab had thought to herself, there's no other way of life for me, here's the good news from this story, but God. But God had other plans for this woman. Now, I've already said we don't know too many details about Rahab. Here's what we do know. We know she lived near the city wall. We already, I've already said we know her occupation. We know she must have been well known in the city of Jericho. We know that because the king... Who knew everything and everybody in the city of Jericho. The king was well acquainted. He knew who Rahab was. Now, we don't know how she became a harlot. There wasn't that day in the Canaanite religion such a thing as a temple prostitute. There were women who who were prostitutes who worked in and around the, the, the Canaanite temples. And as a part of the temple worship, you could come and bring your sacrifice to the false gods. And then you could, you could, there were men and women who both worked as temple prostitutes. We don't know if she had any part of that or not. Bible commentators discuss that, but it's not totally clear from the text. We don't know her family background. We don't really know her religion, except we know the only religion of Jericho was gross Canaanite immorality. We don't know if she was hungering for a better life when the two spies came to her home. What is it that we do know? We do know this. That when the story is over, this prostitute has become a child of God. We know by the time we get to the end, Almighty God... Has found her. and Changed her from the inside out. We know that. Because when you open the Bible. To the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11. By faith Abel. By faith Enoch. By faith Noah. By faith Abraham. By faith Sarah. By faith Isaac. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. By faith Moses. And then suddenly. Suddenly. By Faith, Rahab. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. If ancient Israel had a Mount Rushmore, she would have been on it. Let me say that again. If ancient Israel had a Mount Rushmore, her face would have been on it. And and part of the problem of preaching this story today is that... No matter what I say, no matter what I say, because we are good church people. We automatically divide up the list in Hebrews 11 this way. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then we add Joseph and Moses. And then we we add David if we want to. We put a great big gap. We're willing to admit that Rahab made the list. But mentally, we put all the good guys over here. And in our mind, we put Rahab, the harlot, over here. May I say to you, God thinks differently. Five times, she is called a harlot. But in the Bible, tenses matter. She was a harlot. She became a woman of faith. So then, let's now think about the story of Rahab under three great headings. First... A hopeless beginning. A hopeless beginning. Rahab had at least four things going against her. First, she was a Gentile. She was a Gentile. That means she had no part in the covenant of grace. She was a foreigner to the grace of God. She had no connection with the promise God made to Abraham. She starts this story as a complete outsider. She is not in the line of Abraham. She is not in the line of Isaac. She is not in the line of Jacob. She is not a Jew by birth. Ethnically and spiritually, she is outside the line of promise. So that's the first strike against her. She was a Gentile. Second, she was a woman. That day in the ancient world, as you know, to be a woman was to be despised and overlooked. There was very little legal protection for a woman in the Canaanite world. She had no real legal standing. And if somebody misused her, if somebody mistreated her, and you know, in that profession, women were badly mistreated. There was no one to come to her aid. So She was a Gentile. Second, she was a woman. Third, she was a pagan. That means, because she was a Canaanite, she had been raised inside of idol worship with no knowledge of the Torah, no knowledge of the sacrificial system. And there's been a lot of research done about the ancient Canaanite religion. I'm going to say more about this when we get to Joshua 6, about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. But understand this. The Canaanite religion was so evil, was so immoral, was so bloodthirsty, was so perverted, it was so gross, that when the time came for the children of God to enter the land God said you will, you will give no quarter you will make no compromise when you take Jericho you are to kill every man every woman every boy every girl you are to wipe out every living person you are to leave no trace no trace of the evil of Canaanite worship she was a Gentile she was a woman she was a pagan and fourth, She was a harlot. That meant she sold her body for sexual uses. She sold her body for money. No need to cover it up. We need to know the truth. And I want to say again, Rahab might seem unlikely to show up in Hebrews chapter 11. But may I say to you right now, that judgment which we Good church people, we Bible believers, we evangelicals, that judgment which we think, oh, how unusual that a harlot should come to faith, that judgment which we make almost without thinking reveals how little we understand about the grace of God. A woman guilty of repeated sexual sin might not seem like a good candidate for salvation, but appearances are often deceiving. Not every church member is as righteous as they appear on Sunday morning. And not every sinner is as far from the kingdom as we sometimes assume. Let me give you a sentence. And if you're taking notes, write this down. God has his people everywhere, even in the most unlikely places. God's got his people everywhere, even in the most unlikely places. You might not think... That a quote fallen woman in Jericho would end up in Hebrews eleven, but that is exactly what happened. May I say to you? May I say to you this way? Just make it personal. As as I teaching the Bible this morning, as I ponder this story, let me tell you the conclusion I come to. God saves people I wouldn't save if I were God. God saves people. I wouldn't save if I were God. You know what that means? My grace has limits. His does not. He will save the worst sinners. He will save the most notorious sinners. He will save people so far gone in sin that we wouldn't even talk to people like that. He will save the worst of the worst. You know how big God's grace is? He will even save self-righteous church people like me. Sometimes when we read this story, you know what we like to say? We like to say there is grace even for people like Rahab. Don't say that. Don't say that. Because you know what you're doing when you say there's grace even for people like Rahab, you are putting yourself up here as if you are somehow better than she. What is the last phrase of, of Romans three twenty two, I've done this with you before. Some of you should know the answer. We all know Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Without looking at your Bible, what's the last phrase of Romans three twenty three or the last, of Romans three twenty two? It's the phrase that explains verse three twenty three. For there is no difference. No difference, no difference between rich and poor, no difference between young and old, no difference between slave and free, no difference between men and women, no difference between prostitutes and debutantes, no difference between what we call the worst of the worst and the best of the best. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So guess what? Even self-righteous church people can be saved. That's my plan, by the way. There's grace even for people like me. You know why I believe in that? Because that's the only way I'm ever going to go to heaven. So second in this story, there is a remarkable conversion. It must have been hard for Rahab to believe in the God of God of the bible she who who didn't have all the advantages we have today she who never read the book of genesis she who didn't know the law of god she who didn't know about the burning bush she who didn't know the things we take for granted why did she do what she did let's remind ourselves of the story the spies arrived surreptitiously in the city of jericho I say surreptitiously, but not as much as they thought. The king hears about it. He sends messengers. They find Rahab. They come into Rahab's place of business, her home. She hides them. The king sends messengers and says... Uh, These fellows have come, they're spying us out, send them to me, which means if she sends them to the king, they're certainly going to be put to death. Rahab hides them in the flax, you know, in the stalks of flax up on the roof, And, and she lies to the king, and has the king send his soldiers out this way, and when the soldiers go out this way... She says, now I'm going to let you out the window and you go out the other way and you go hide in the gullies. You wait three days and then you go back and tell Joshua all the stories before she sent them out. This is what she said to them. I want you to look in your Bibles. Look in your Bibles down in Joshua 2 beginning in verse 8. This is what she said before she sent the two spies back to Joshua. First, she declared God had given them the land. Joshua 2. Verse 9, and she said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land. Second, she said, fear had fallen on the city. A great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country, she's talking about Jericho and the surrounding region. They're all melting in fear because of you. Third, she recounted the miracles God had done at the Red Sea. Verse 10, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt... For you, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan River, whom you completely destroyed. And here's the kicker. Verse 11, fourth, she declared her faith in the sovereignty of Israel's God. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. Watch this. For the Lord, your God, is God. Watch that. For the Lord, your God, is God. In saying that, she is turning her back on the the pantheon of Canaanite idols. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. And with those words, she is saying farewell to Canaan and farewell to immorality and farewell to idolatry and farewell to the Canaanite religion. She's saying goodbye to all of that. Watch these two things. Number one. The whole city heard about the victory over the Amorite kings. But only Rahab saw in that the hand of God at work. Fifth and finally, she showed her faith by her compassion. She went so far as to make provision for her own family. Look at verse 12. So now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them. That you will save us from death. Let me summarize what this means. She heard the truth about God. She believed it. She testified to it. And that faith led her to act courageously in the face of great danger. She hid the spies, she lied about it, and she sent them out secretly. Now let me say a word here. If you ever study biblical ethics, they'll talk about this story. you ever study biblical ethics, you'll write papers about the morality of what Rahab did here. You are free to do that. We like to debate this. Go to the Bible Institute. Go to any Bible college. We debate this. Was Rahab right to tell a lie or not? Let me say it to you very simply. The Bible never raises that issue. In a moment of great crisis, Rahab became a traitor to her own people. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? When she did what she did, she changed sides. She went from one team to another team. She went from the losing team to the winning team. She became a traitor to her own people, and she joined the people of God. Do we understand that if she was discovered, she would immediately be put to death? Debating about her life is a luxury we have 3,500 years later. In the most important moment of her life, she didn't hesitate, and she didn't debate anything She took her stand for the Lord. She protected his people. She made provision for her whole family. She risked everything in the process. There's the third and final thing in this story. There is, watch this, a scarlet deliverance. A scarlet deliverance. You know the story. And the spies said to her, tell you what, we'll make a deal with you. There's going to be a great battle. We're going to come in and take the city. But here's the deal. You go get your family. You get them before the battle comes. If you're outside, they even say this. The spies even say, if you or any of your family are outside your house, when the battle begins, you will be put to death. Your only hope of salvation is to get your family and bring them into your house and take a scarlet cord, really means a scarlet rope, And hang it outside your window. So when the battle begins. And in the smoke and fog and the chaos of the battle. In all of that. When we see the scarlet cord hanging from your window. window, We will know to spare you and everyone in your house. Now I ask myself the question. What if she didn't believe them? She would have died with everyone else. What if she had forgotten? What if she had just gotten busy that day? And the battle started and she hadn't hung out the scarlet cord. She would have died and her family would have died with her. So, in the days that were to pass, maybe a few days, maybe a week, maybe another week, Rahab quietly went to every member of her family. Parents, children, if she had children, relatives, uncles, and aunts, and everybody in her family, and said, There's going to be a great battle. Trust me, I can't explain everything to you, but there's going to be a great battle. And if you want to live to survive this battle, you better come to my house and stay in my house and don't go outside. Because if you're in my house when the battle comes, you will be spared. If you're outside, you will die. Joshua. Led the children of Israel across the Jordan and up toward Jericho. It's the great battle immortalized in Joshua 5, the battle of Jericho. Seven for six days, once a day, they marched around the city of Jericho. On the seventh day, children of Israel, and we'll talk about this story later. Seven times on the seventh day, they marched around the, the walls of Jericho. The, the trumpets played, Joshua gave the word, the people shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. All you need to know at this point is this, that the children of Israel, when the wall came tumbling down, they, hundreds and thousands of them, tens of thousands of soldiers rushed into the city of Jericho. The people of Jericho paralyzed with fear. Whole city was defeated. An utter and complete slaughter. Men, women, boys, and girls completely uh, wiped out. In the whole city of Jericho, in the whole city, one family survived the family of Rahab that brings me out to the end of my message and I simply ask this question what are we supposed to learn from this a timeless message well for for thousands of years Christian expositors have seen two lessons from Rahab's story lesson number one salvation comes To the worst sinners, the worst sinners. Clearly, we're to understand that. This story teaches us that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Even in the midst of horrifying judgment, God reaches out and saves a harlot who turns to him in faith. But think, watch this, watch this, watch this. But think of all the men she had slept with. Think of all that sin. Think of her soiled reputation. Think of her past. And God says, it doesn't matter. May I ask you a question this morning? What's your sin? What's your sin? Not just your sin on the outside. What's your sin on the inside? What's your sin on the inside that would shock the rest of us if we knew all about it? Understand, Rahab was unworthy of salvation. But so are you. And so am I let's understand if God saves anybody the only people God can save are people who are unworthy of salvation the only saints who are going to go to heaven are unworthy people who are saved by the grace of God remember if God can save Rahab he can save anyone and that includes you and that includes me I can summarize it this way my friends this morning I'd rather be Rahab the harlot on my way to heaven than Sally the Sunday school teacher on my way to hell. So that's the first thing we'll learn from this story. Salvation for the first sinners were sinners. And number two, salvation is as simple as choosing sides with Jesus. Choosing sides with Jesus. How much did Rahab understand? How much did she know? Not much. She knew the true God. She wanted to to join God's people. She hid the spies and sent them out. She hung the scarlet cord. She told her family. You know what? In our terms, we would say she was in spiritual kindergarten. Sometimes Sometimes we like to ask the question, How much do you need to know to go to heaven? Evidently, the answer is, Not very much. Aren't you glad about that? A little faith resting on the right object will take you all the way to heaven. And that's much better than a whole lot of faith resting on the wrong object. Rahab didn't understand very much, but what she understood, she believed. Write it down, write it down, write it down, friends. Write it down, friends. She made the book. She made the book by the grace of God. She made the book, which is why Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Rahab. Oh, my friends, God delights to save notorious sinners. So let every sinner take heart and come running to Jesus. One final word and I am done. What happened to Rahab? After the fall of Jericho. Now, I gotta go back to show you this. Run the clock ahead. Run the clock ahead. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. Come to the first chapter of the, of the New Testament. Come to that long, that, 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 that long genealogy in Matthew chapter one. What do you find in Matthew chapter one, verses five and six? Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. There's two women right there who are outsiders. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Read that, read that, read that, read that, read that. Rahab, the former harlot, becomes the great, great grandmother of King David, the greatest king Israel Israel ever knew. Oh my friends, one day you are gonna meet Rahab in heaven. Only then she's not gonna be Rahab the harlot. She's gonna be Rahab the child of God. Now I love these words by Fanny Crosby. Oh perfect redemption. The purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. So we are left with the story of Rahab. It's rare to meet someone with that name. I was thinking about this. I think in my 66 years, I can't remember ever meeting anyone. I've met all sorts of biblical named people. I don't think I've ever met anybody with the name Rahab. Because we say, oh, it just rolls out of her mouth, Rahab the harlot. It's almost as if harlot is her last name. But in the eyes of God, Rahab is an honorable name. She was a Gentile, but she made the book. She was a Canaanite, but she made the book. She was a prostitute, but she made the book. She made the book precisely because she was a woman of faith. Her past did not define her future. I ran across this and I wanted to share it with you. This is worth writing down. I hope you're glad about this. God does not consult your past to determine your future. He does not consult your, fa- your past to determine your future. God blessed Rahab. We could use more believers like her. Here at the end, let me say it to you plainly. The hero of this story is not Rahab. The hero of this story is God. God and his amazing grace. I can't end this message without remarking on the miracle of God's grace. The Canaanites built a thick wall around Jericho to keep people out. But listen to me. No wall can keep God out because no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Many of you know that um, I've written a little gospel book called An Anchor for the Soul. And some of you have used this little gospel book in your own evangelistic ministry. I'm going to tell you before the end of the week how you can get free copies of that. We've received, we've given away, our ministry has given away over 800,000 copies 800,000 free copies of An Anchor for the Soul. We received 10, 12,000 letters, uh, most of them from prisoners. This little gospel book has gone into basically every, basically every prison and state prison and penitentiary and jail, just almost all of them all across America. And over the years, 10, 12,000 letters have come back. This is, you probably can't really read that. Maybe you can read a little bit. This is just a little snapshot of a letter that we received within the last four weeks from a man in prison with two life sentences. Not one, two life sentences, meaning almost certainly he will never get out of prison. He's going to live and die in prison. Let me read to you part of what he wrote. I am writing to you because I just finished reading your book, An Anchor for the Soul. And I want to tell you, bro, bro, this book is powerful. Literally, when I picked up this book, I was like, ah, yeah, well, just another spiritual book about God. But by the time I got halfway through it, brother, I was on my knees, crying like a baby, begging God to forgive me. And you know what? He did. And this is the part that's up here. Yeah, I may have life in prison, but look, I'd rather die in prison Knowing I know Jesus, then be free on the streets and not and die knowing I didn't know Jesus. He went on to say, You changed me, Brother Pritchard. You did that, and I want to say, Thank you, brother. But it wasn't me, and it wasn't the book, it was the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters. Jesus is building his church around the world. And he has his people in some very unlikely places. There are no walls high enough and no prison bars strong enough to keep out the Holy Spirit. The word of God is not bound. It reaches people. The rest of us never see. So I come to the very end and I say to you, if this morning... You are Rahab. I say to you on the basis of the Word of God, there is hope for you. And if you know someone who is Rahab, man or woman, far gone in sin, trapped in sin, far removed from the grace of God, if you know somebody like that, and you feel like giving up, never, 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 Never give up because the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus is enough and more than enough. He's enough to save us. He's enough to cleanse us. He's enough to wash away the stain of sin and give us a brand new life. Father, we pray for those who today are trapped in sexual sin. We pray for those who feel like there is no hope. Oh, Father, send someone with the life-changing gospel that they may be changed. And, Lord, we lift up those we know, friends and loved ones, far gone, away from you. Give us faith to keep on believing and trust you completely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.